to take communion every Sunday. Fit it in. And I went, oh my gosh, we, we've been on track with this. And no, there's so much to it and celebrating it and doing it is, and it hasn't grown old, has it? And uh, I've Kurt and Tom and different people that lead us and are, and they're, they're just a rich moment. I'm starting to put that on our, our podcast, the communion section, because they, they just have some amazing things that they share and, and there's life in it. And we've been doing that and we partake of it and, and uh, more of I don't know how many of you take this at home, um, but Phyllis and I, we're, we get on and off of it, but uh, we've been coming back to making sure we sit ourselves down and take communion together in the morning. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's such a powerful thing to renew your walk every day with the Lord, to ask every day for him to come and lead you, that you're saying, Jesus, if you lead me by your spirit, I'll follow you. I choose you. I celebrate you. You're my Lord. I establish, I declare that today that you're Lord. You watch over us and we pray for people. And, and uh, we do that with this consistency. And this is the call. And um, Kevin and I were talking about this just a little bit after he watched it. <coughs> Excuse me. There's something in my throat. And... Um, we were talking about what Lou said, that this is going to be, you know, a revival centered on the Lord Jesus and communion with him. And we're like, wow, imagine that. Because you realize all the revivals, they're, they're based on something that are all good things. But the thing gets emphasized and the revival gets lost. And what would it look like if Jesus is the center? The, the, the world's hungry for this, that he's really there, and it's us fellowshipping in him that this thing gets released. So today, take this today in faith and, and just receive it. So. <laughs>
I was, um, <clears throat> I heard a teaching by this woman, Anna Mendez Farrell, and um, on the subject of iniquity. It's like, oh, fun. Yeah. But it was really a good teaching. I'm like, wow. And I'm trying to grasp everything that she's sharing and saying. And um, I decided to get the book because I was intrigued. There was something there that I didn't, I didn't get. So sometimes when you're not following something, welcome to the service, Mackenzie. And we knew this day would come when you're participating, right? <laughs> she has been coming alive. Wow. And um, so I begin to read the book, and right out of the gate is this passage. And uh, it's, I love Revelation, how it comes, because it keeps building. And you know something, and then another level of revelation comes. It's like you're starting fresh with us with an old subject, like oh, oh, like as if you didn't know. And I, I, I hope until I die that I'm always getting those, always awakening and getting more and getting more and getting more. And I believe that will continue as we go into eternity. It will not be boring. We'll continue to receive revelation about who Jesus is and what he did. It's not going to end. We think, oh, we'll get there, boom. We'll, well, I, I believe it will continue on. That's what I believe. We'll not be bored in heaven. I was concerned about that as a young man. I really was. I even wrote a stupid song about it. I mean, it was a stupid song, but I, how do you write? But I did. I wrote a song like, you know, give me a purpose in heaven, the, the words in it when I was writing songs that were not that great. But, yeah, it was keeping me out of trouble. I don't know, you know. I was concerned that I would be bored. I don't want to just sit and, you know, worship like whatever. But I was young, and I didn't even understand what I was saying. And, you know, I didn't know what worship was in the spirit and getting caught up. And you're not bored when that comes, right? Right? Like when you're in the presence of the Lord, he shows up, worship's not boring. You're not sitting around singing church songs. You are impacted and it can go on for a long time. You're caught up. So that's just the tastes that we get. And so um, there, there's so much more to learn. But anyways, I, I, I hear this. I hear this, a scripture I've heard for a thousand times. I think I can talk louder than her, but I'm not sure. Her and Jace were in, they get in yelling matches. And... Um, Gosh, cutest thing. Her and Tirza, Tirza, they yell. And Jace yells to her, and she yells back, and it goes on. They do this at home. And then Tirza, sitting over at Summer and Adams the other night, did that with her. Sitting on the couch. We got a video of it. That's how I know Katie sent me a video of it. And Katie would go, ah! And Mackenzie would, ah! ah. And finally, Mackenzie got so pumped up about it. Her little arms shake, ah! You know? <laughs> Oh, gosh, grandkids. They're like uh, the old home movie slides of your vacation that you showed all the friends and relatives. They're like, oh, gosh. Is this a passage describing the fall of Lucifer from heaven? We believe. 
goes on for several verses or begins a few verses back and it gets to verse 14. Ezekiel, I'm sorry, 28. For a change, I'm there first. Tom gets here all excited too. He's another one. I, I wish you could have seen last night, yesterday afternoon at this little birthday party when Aiden, the, they, what's that? Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28. <laughs> Ezekiel 28. I'm not sure what the caution is. It's just the, right, the lights went, started going off, the little beepers. It's like, pull up. I don't know what's wrong, but just pull up. Okay, okay. It's going to be a great story. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, they're not here. Yeah, some of yeah. And, and, Adam bought him, asked him, will you, I was there when he asked him, like, I think we were music practice something, I've got a job for you. It's like, Aiden's like, okay, what, you know? It's like, you can say no, but, you know, he says, I want you to dress up like Spider-Man and come to Lincoln's birthday party. And so, Aiden's all in, like, oh, oh, yeah, baby, I'll do that. Like, most of us would be like, oh, no, that's not going to happen. If you'd have seen the outfit, it had definitely been a, a no. <laughs> I got in leotards one time for <laughs> me and Kenny and whatever, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hidden, hidden in the archives. What's that? Yeah, there's something of them. Yeah, yeah, we keep it in the archives, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. The FBI will probably come and raid my house for them someday. And um, he said yes, and so they turn up the Spider-Man music, whatever that is. And they have Adam and somewhere of their garage all set up, and they have a scenery. If you get a chance just to see the pictures of it, they have like uh, Corwin came and did a scene of like a city, like from a cartoon. It's perfect, like it's in three-dimensional, and it's in the background on this their newly drywalled painted garage you know it's the best the garage has ever looked since they moved there and uh and it's like you know and and that was the backdrop and that's where they're taking pictures and they had all the kids go up there and stand you know and they didn't know what was coming and the music comes on and lincoln's like they're all into the music this spider-man music whatever that is but it was like really motivating you know and little harvey gets out in the middle of the floor and he's shooting spider webs at me like you know and they're they're just in in the moment and all of a sudden, the four-wheeler comes from wherever, down Bethesda Road, whips into the drive, driveway, a red four-wheeler, of course, loud, as they like them. And Aiden jumps off, fully dressed in his Spider-Man outfit, comes in, and the kids are like... <laughs> and, and they were in awe for longer than I knew they could stay in awe. And they just, they're just like, wow. And he comes in, and he starts posing with them. He played with, I mean, I'm like, kid, you could take this on the road. He was like, excellent. You know, have Spider-Man come to your birthday party. They threw balloons at him. They're, we're all, us adults, we're watching. He's running around. They're chasing him. And, you know, it's like all this stuff. It was just great. It was amazing. It was amazing. There was a fire truck, a real fire truck, that came to Jace's last birthday party out at Ray and Lynn's. 
I thought, how can you top that? Like real, with real firefighters coming, two of them dressed up in full gear. Now Spider-Man comes. Josh looks at me, winks. He goes, well, I'm going to have, you know, the, uh, the, the blue angels fly over uh, at <laughs> Riders, you know. It's, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much what it would take. What's that? Oh, Corwin said that? Oh, that wasn't you? I gave you credit for it. It was a great idea. Anyways, Corwin, there he's sitting over there with his... <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. I'm never going to get to the message. I, I, I'll tell you what, like, wow. I've got the greatest young fathers. They are the best. They're amazing. How they're doing things, raising their children, doing things with them. Like, I, I just love to watch our young families. They're just, just the greatest... And um, so, it's so neat. It's so neat what they, what they do. So, wow, wow, wow! It's so cool. We're getting to see the fruits of our sufferings. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's showing up finally, you know. So, <laughs> I'll introduce this because I've been intrigued with it, and I. Um, he's referring to Satan. He says, "You were an, you were the anointed cherub in verse 14." who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. And in verse 15, I mean, you can't get any higher than this, right? It's in the glory. Like, this is quite a scene. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you and of all the times I read the scripture I heard, I heard it for the first time I'm like not till you committed iniquity but until iniquity was found in you and I went oh oh that's different I mean I know all the theology and the, and the words and stuff but like the light came on I know we're born in sin because I learned that but I don't have revelation about it. Is that okay for the pastor to say? Like, I know all the right things to say about it and think about it, but I, I don't, I couldn't grasp it. And um, this was a moment when God says an iniquity was found in him. And the lights came on and I went, ah, ah, the source of sin the source of corruption, the source of our rebellion, the source of that behavior, and often that's all we can see. So we come to Jesus, and we've got full spectrum coverage in Jesus Christ, okay? I'm not taking away from any of that. I don't think we tap into the fullness like we're trying. So we're, we got it, we know it, we've got the revelation about it, the teachings about it, but the reality of it is, I, I, I think we're, we're falling, I know we're falling short. I feel that. And I, I still find myself with obstacles that keep me from being completely free in Christ. And like, even if it's just the liberty aspect, not to mention anything else. If I could truly be free, free, free. I'm going to tell you something. Like, I won't get very far in this message, so it's to be continued. How about that? I'll just let you out early, and we'll, we'll just move on. 
we, we have the Amish community around us. And I've had, and, and all my life, I've been, from a child, my father would go up, to, he had an uncle up in Middlefield, Ohio, which is north of here, and of northeast, uh, big community, and there's a big Amish, a large Amish community there, and he had an uncle who had these huge, uh, magnificent draft horses that he would take to parades, you know, like the big wagon, like the Clydesdale wagon, you know, that, he had one of those with, I think, four huge draft horses with the most amazing harnesses, decorative, you know, and he, he it's a full-time job having that. His uncle had this, and my dad would go to his farm in the summers. He loved his summers with his Uncle Ray. And this was the community. He wasn't Amish, but he, of course, but he, he, um, he had a sale barn there as well, I believe, that he ran that's still up there to this day, I think, maybe. And uh, so I was introduced to the Amish community a little bit, and my father was around it. Then when he became an adult and whatever, and he began farming, he, we, one of the things that we did when we were um, farming custom work, we, we would make hay, store it, sell it, and haul it down to Amish country, down in Berlin, Walnut Creek, and all those places. Um, and so again, my dad would get around them, and he just, he just like flowed with them. He just would talk for a, like, he just clicked with those guys. And they can be funny, you know, it, they can not like the English by, you know, church, they're instructed that way, you know, like really. I was a little offended that for a while. I found I didn't I didn't mind blacks and didn't mind Hispanics. I didn't mind Muslims that bad, but the Amish they they were under. I'm like I had this edge about it. Like, you know how you can have those things, those prejudice things, and it's not real unless you finally confess it and you go, yeah, I got issues. And uh, I get around them and my that thing in my heart would show up and I finally had to look at it like. Oh, that's, that's some nasty dirt there. That's not a good thing, is it, Jesus? Uh, no. So I worked on that for a while. I'm doing great now. But I've, I was surprised, like, oh, I do, have a, I do have an issue. And it was over that. I knew they didn't like us because we were English, you know. So it doesn't matter what the reason. It's like it was wrong. So doing well and so we've been around at different times and then there's more Amish that moved into our community around us and um, <clears throat> the other day Phyllis had this I had this amazing ride out into the country and uh, she knows some of them from working at the greenhouse and she um, there's someone they, they're grown up now they were young girls at the time grown up now have their own families and we drive by their places and across from the street are is a man that raises rodeo bulls like Brahmas and all that pasture field of these bulls and takes them out to the west to the rodeos gets paid a lot of money for this and this is right here in our community just a little ways off of 171 down in Carroll County and we've gone by it a few times and it's fascinating you see them they're right there in the fence they're you know all together and um, and then this friend, Amish family, lives right there as well, and we'll wave at them on their porch. Well, the other night, we stopped. Phyllis says, if, if, if Elizabeth is still out on her porch, I want to stop. I was like, okay, yeah. pulled over on the road. We go up, and they're so amazingly friendly. And uh, walk up this great big, you know, we have porches. They have porch. He put a porch around the house, a surround porch. 
that's like eight foot deep or more. Like, it's like wonderful, you know, so nice, beautiful. And she invites us up. We go, we sit, and then her husband comes out. We have this greatest talk. But what I've noticed about the different Amish, the Mennonite, the different, but they separate them from, or themselves from the world, right? Like, that's their big thing. If, it's world, if the bishop says that's worldly, you can't have it. If rubber wheels are worldly, and then you can have rubber wheels. But if they approve that, then you can have them, but you can't have this. And so it's, it's kind of laughable, but we all are when we're stuck in things, and we think this is right, but that's wrong if it's not scriptural. And we can ad-lib quite a bit, can't we? You know, the length of your hair when I was a Baptist, this, you know, this is okay up here, this is sin. Hits the top of your ear, you're like, ain't in it, you're not going to heaven anymore. Ah, hair on the back of your collar, you're out. I'm looking at the picture of Jesus on the back wall with long hair and sandals. He'd have never been allowed in this, but he's hanging on the back wall. Like, what's up? But we get ridiculous when we get into that anyways. But here's what I noticed. They don't have the self-consciousness that we have. They don't have shame. They talk freely. And I've noticed this for years, talking to them. They, they're just like uninhibited it, once they decide to talk, when, which the ones I've been meeting are very friendly. And I was intrigued with it because I went, wow, I'm self-conscious. I'm paranoid about what I say. I'm paranoid about how I look. I'm, I have all, these, all this awareness. Could I ask you, do you, have you ever thought about that? What is it in our culture that makes us so when we went to India, the children were saying, top of their lungs, deafening, with, they had no inhibition. And I went, man, how, how, you got to really work on a group of kids here to get them to sing without, you know. Emily does great with her band, and her, but that's actually unusual. When they play, they play with all their hearts and with passion. Like, that's, it's unusual. Usually it's re refined, re you know, they, they hold back. And, and so... What is it that, it's like something about our culture has caused us to be, we watch television a lot, don't we? And we see perfect people doing perfect things, no problems, they're all driving new cars and they don't have what I have, you know. And their teeth are straight and they're this, that, and that. And pretty soon, then you look at yourself in the mirror like, oh, you shouldn't go out today, man. You're not presentable. Wouldn't it be great to be free from all that? Jesus actually intended us to be, and we've been under assault in our culture, culturally, in many, many ways. That has stripped away our liberty, stripped away our freedom, stripped away our, our being free to play in the yard without an inhibition, to, to really come to know him. These are strongholds of iniquity in us. So we come to Jesus and we have all of us, we could start going through the, to, through the group of us here and the testimonies that we have about how it affected you and impacted you when Jesus came into your life. When you, when you asked him in, you had an experience. And from that moment on, like at that moment, did you not feel, if you didn't feel this, I'm gonna just kind of question your experience a little bit. That the sin was eradicated like you were free from it from everything you had done free like i'm out of jail yeah 
I mean, I, w- I came to Jesus, I was very young, 12, 13 years old. I felt that. I mean, how bad can you be at 12 or 13 years old? I swore in the woods, you know, stuff like that. But I felt the release of the sin. I, I experienced that. I cried all day in relief and got baptized that same day in relief of that thing being lifted off of me. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that was on me. So experience, and what was I experiencing? I was experiencing the freedom from the sin, sins committed, sins, whatever, it was released. But the other experience that you, if you don't have to confess this, and I'm not going to force it, But how long were you able to maintain that? Then you were left to yourself for a little bit and trying to walk with Jesus and boop, screwed up here, ah, made a big mistake here, and ah, bad decision here, and ah, relationship failure there. And pretty soon you're walking around with a lot of, lot of baggage. I'm free in Jesus. And you know, and the level of our song just keeps decreasing because we're carrying stuff, we're carrying shame carrying regret, we understand we're not free, push my buttons and beak, out comes the carnal Rick, which is not pretty. Put me back to me in a corner. I'm right nice and friendly when I'm all in the pasture and everything's good and the breeze is blowing, I've got something to drink and eat and da da da. And then put back me in a corner in some hardship and then out comes this other stuff. What is that? Anna goes after this subject. She goes, we have issues of iniquity, the strongholds of the iniquity, they need to be broken. They're established in us. They're established there, and they keep showing up until you really deal with them. So I've been through a lot of sozo and this and that and different ministries. We've had people come and have us lead us through prayers and all these things. You rattle off, you're repenting from everything, you know, from this, that, and the other thing. And the discussions are endless about, you know, the sins of the forefather. Is that a real thing or is that done in Jesus? And good Christians will argue about all that. No, I don't believe that. Once you've come to Jesus, that there are no, there's no effect of the sins of the forefathers. And so you're like, okay, doctor, okay, I see the scriptures you're using. However, I have this experience. I noticed that in our family line, there's alcoholism. It started back here with grandpap so-and-so, and then it showed up here in my parents, and now by the time it got to me, it grew into alcoholism and a few other things is in our, in our family, and it, it, it's, it's growing like there's something there. There's not a good explanation for it. All of a sudden, this thing is there. Same with immorality, same with just different issues. It, it shows up and you realize something's following the blood, something's coming along. And we can, it was like this crazy argument we used to have. <laughs> I finally like, if you got the problem, fix it. If you don't, whatever. Can, it, can a Christian have demons? Now we're getting into some nasty, you know, subjects, huh? And a book came out, Pigs in the Parlor, and everybody was in an uproar. And, and I, and I looked at it, I was like, I don't like the idea of a, of a Christian having a demon. I don't, I don't like it at all. I don't think it should be. However, we've got some Christians that have trouble with demons. How about we just fix the problem and move on? How about we go, uh, there's something wrong here. Maybe it shouldn't be there. 
I'm not going to argue that, but it is. So let's, let's do that. So the same with these things. And I, I realized as she teaches that, I'm like, ah, oh, I can see what I just have not been able to see before. If these things are, are there and there are strongholds there and we haven't, uh, they haven't been pulled down, they keep affecting you. And you notice you can't go on vacation from them. Take a vacation. I'm like, I need a break. And then you ended up taking yourself with you and everything that you usually do shows up. I'm like, watch. What I need a vacation from is not work and not my family. It's like, I need one from me. And so she introduces this. I'm like, oh my gosh. I, I'm like, I, this is intriguing. I'm, I, I, I need to see this. The word... Iniquity means twisted or distorted. Or anything that turns away from God's straight and perfect path. So anything that is not, not that, that's messed up from his straight and perfect path that he would lay out for us. Or any the twisted, distorted thing. So if there's twisted or distortion, there's thing in your relationships. Like look for what's causing this. If you have distortion in your body. It, this, this affects your physical body. It's one of the reasons I'm really intrigued. Like, I've had issues with unprecedented pain that I've not had before since last Christmas. And I, I've tried this, tried that, chiropractor, whatever. And it's kind of serious. Like, there are mornings on Sunday, I don't know if I'm going to make it up here because my neck is so bad. And I, nothing seems to work, and I'm not taking any more pain pills. Like, that just masks and covers and caused me some other problems. And so I'm just pressing in. It feels like, Rick, take some stuff. I'm like, no, i gotta find the, I got to find what's the root here. There's something. Something's happened. Something's came in. I quit totally drinking coffee because it affects your, you know, when, especially when, you know, a cup is good. Two cups is okay. Three cups is toxic, you know, and I was... You know, and so we're drinking a pot, you know? Yeah. Depends on the size of your cup. And, and too much, it dries out your joints. I'm 67. I need lubrication. Yeah? Not, you know, not dry joints. Grease them up. I, like, I need what, I, what my body's producing. So anything I can stop that, you know, dude, I'm doing those things. I'm taking responsibility. Like, I'm being active in this. And I'm after something, like, there's something's happened. Like there's something that has come. And what am I really struggling with? My back's gone out twice where I can't walk like for a day or two crawling. Crawl for a day and see if you're not humbled and start asking questions. What's going on? And it's, I don't, I really don't believe there's anything a doctor's going to find. And even if they do, I was like, ah, I, I, Lord, I'm turning to you. I want answers from you. And it put me on this path. And so when this iniquity came thing, I'm like, what's going on? What Can I find this? So I pray this all the time. When I read that scripture, iniquity was found in him. I'm like, I'm now praying that with liberty. I'm not embarrassed before the Lord. Like, go after what's here. I, I want to know what this, I, I, I'm trusting you that you're going to deliver me and bring me into a release. Let me introduce, because I, I really don't want to go on. Um, Psalms 91. I'll read it out here out of this book. She has so many amazing things to say. There's like there's 
there's levels of, of iniquity. There's voluntary iniquity where you're choosing to sin and living, live in iniquity. There's conscious iniquity. This is the conscious evil in operation which produces an inner struggle that leads to either falling into sin or practicing it. It is the root of all sins. And on certain occasions, the believer tries to follow God with all of his heart. This is, this is a testimony of a lot of people. They try hard. But there is a hindrance in the conscience about, about it. However, he does not know how to fight against it. At the very best, he may be able to suppress it. See, that's what I suspect. Like, I'm actually, I'm more than suspected. I'm pretty convinced of a lot of Christians suppressing stuff. Trying hard, bless your heart, trying hard to behave well trying not to kick the dog, trying not to yell at the wife, trying not to be impatient, trying not to fall into, you know. It's like, and, and so then you put up temporary boundaries. Here, I'll put this in my life so I don't sin. It's like, you know, if I have a dog in a backyard and I say that he's well-behaved and he knows his boundaries, but I keep a chain on him, he, he's not free. Even if I tell him he is and he wags his tail at me, He's captured. He won't run away, but he's got a log chain on him too, hooked to a, you know, a building. Real freedom is that you don't have to have the chain on that you're truly free. You don't have to be restrained or restricted. You're really free. That, and, and then there's unconscious iniquity where there's things that are happening. We, 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 just, we don't realize it. We don't know what's going on. So that's just... A little of, of tons of stuff. Here's another chapter or paragraph that I highlighted. Most believers confess their sins to God, but have never asked him to blot out their iniquities. For this reason, they continue suffering the terrible consequences of financial curses, incurable family sicknesses, divorces, accidents, tragedies that would never occur with the protection of an omnipotent God. So we see all this stuff, and um, let me introduce Psalms 91, and then I'll end with listing off some of the dwelling places. In Psalms 91, it's, hang on, page 67. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the, under the shadow of the Almighty. So we see that word dwells in this place. Dwells there, abides there. I say to the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the no noisome pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. See, this is packed full of promises, right? We read Psalms 91 for comfort. And how do we get into this, like really, really into it, really covered by it? It's like an insurance policy. How do I activate this thing? This is amazing. This covers everything. How do I, how do I get it activated? We'll pay the premiums and sign right here and da-da-da. It's yours. Stuff happens, you're covered. And that entering into this place with the Lord is like that. Jumping down, I don't know, I don't have in this which verse it is. But because you have made the Lord, your, the, the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation. So you've made the Lord, just in introducing this quickly, you've made a habitation in him. 
you dwell in that place. That is the, that's the goal, to get to this place where we dwell in this place with him, the secret place in, with him. On, um, she lists, and this is, again, the lights start coming on because she's talking about the dwelling places. They have to be undone by God's power. Our faith in order to replace the lies with God's unlimited truth. It is not about repeating verses, but beginning to believe in a different way regarding ourselves. Seeing ourselves in the fullness of the greatness and power as God sees us and acting coherently leaves no rumor for any sort of doubt. Here are some of these that he lists. Dwellings like you dwell in fear, the dwellings of fear. So instead of the Lord being your habitation, the place you dwell is fear. This is real. The dwellings of lust. The cultural dwellings, dwelling in the culture, like you take refuge in the culture. That's very dangerous. Because what if the culture's wrong? What if they're off? Dwellings of stress dwellings of illness you'll watch people this is sometimes the hindrance to the handicapped getting healed because that thing becomes their identity and people in the ministry the healing ministry they'll ask people do you want to be healed from this and I've heard the testimonies are like you'll be surprised how many people say no what's that Bruce yeah yeah it's, it becomes so much a part of you that you're not, you can't imagine life without this and the serious ones, the blindness or the uh, being crippled. Dwellings of unbelief. Have you, have you noticed that? You're like, I want to believe, I want to believe. You're like, I believe, I believe, I believe. You know, you're, you're repeating these things, but there's something, there's a stronghold of, hold of unbelief that hinders just hearing Jesus' words and bam, grabbing it. Dwellings of rejection. Oh, Lord. This is you bump into people, and it only takes a little bit of conversation with them, and you realize they're a victim, and everybody's against them in their opinion and you can't even tell them different it's like oh no I don't think so oh no it's true it's true that's a dwelling like what would life look like if you're free from that dwelling of addiction oh lord wow that's huge dwellings of complacency dwellings of negligence dwellings of destructive habits oh boy here's what it is like, if you're questioning, I don't know about that. You know what's bad for you, and you eat it, drink it, take it anyways. Too much medication, bad for you. There's something that happens. I've caught myself in this. That's why I can talk freely about it. I'm like, oh, this is something. We know overeating. We'll make all these jokes, you know, what, what, we should, what we should eat, what we should not eat. But do we change? And what have you ever asked yourself, what's really the stronghold that's causing me to do what I know I don't feel good 20 minutes later after doing? That doesn't even make sense. Why would you do that to yourself? 
the satisfaction is so momentary. And we all have our things. I mean, let's just talk about things that let 20 minutes later you feel like crap after you eat it or drink it. Have you, do you practice not eating or drinking and go, oh, no, I don't do well on that? Or do you go, oh, but it's so good, you know, eat it, and pretty soon you're like, ah. That's just a simple thing, but it gets more serious. It, it, gets, it gets bigger than that. That's kind of a, a silly, simple illustration, but it's the beginning of that. There's a dwelling. Where is this coming from? And I believe a lot of people are participating that in that in our culture because you watch them do things that don't even make sense, but they keep doing it. They keep taking it. They keep receiving. It's like, why? How? How? What? Why would we? Why would we do that? Like, finally, you have something to live for, and get to this place where you're redeemed enough. You're like, I want to live. I want to live fully. I'm living for something greater than myself. Took some of us longer to get there than others, but yeah, we're here. Now I have this real seriousness about how I take care of myself and what I do. Like, big change. Used to be, I didn't, I didn't care. Like, don't tell me I'm eating too much salt. Don't tell me I'm doing this. Don't do Like, whatever, you know. Oh, that stuff doesn't bother me. Now I'm like, yeah, I'm, yeah I don't do that. I don't feel good afterwards. I don't do that. It's it's because because I'm living for something greater. Like and that stronghold, that thing is is getting broken off. Dwellings of scarcity and poverty. Poverty is not about how much money is in your bank account. Poverty's up here. Have you ever looked lately at someone that you apparently is is, is poverty stricken? And to realize it's, it's in them. It's just manifests externally, but it's, it's in them. If you can get that stronghold broken, like, are you, are you getting interested? Like, hey, yeah, I think I'm going to pay attention to this. And you, uh, relig- the religious things, the dwellings of pride and self-centeredness. How often does this come up that someone's narcissistic? That's, that's that thing. You bump into someone that only can think of themselves. They're not the blame for anything. And you go, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Really tough to deal with a person like that. that, that's that there's a dwelling of self-centeredness. They, that stronghold has gotten in place. The concept with this and the beginning of deliverance is to make the Lord your dwelling place. It's about developing your secret place. And Anna begins to say, you don't, it's not done by simple, just a prayer. a covers all prayer. It's done by building a house. You have to take coal, gold and silver. You take the real elements of your relationship with the Lord. And you strategically, as things come up, you repent for them. And you ask the Lord. And you, you make it a goal to get to the place where you're dwelling in the Lord. To simplify this. As I need to, to wrap it up. That you start building a house that is, the Lord is my dwelling. You start building in your life a dwelling place that is the secret place. And you, you become very intentional about it. And the way you do that is when you see things that you can discern what's not good. Bad attitudes, bad things, wrong desires, et cetera, et cetera. Just 
cast them on the Lord. It's not about self-control in the sense that you, you have to do this on your own, but you see things and you go, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want that. Holy Spirit, come and walk with me and deliver me from that. I don't like how I handle my finances. So don't just complain about it and don't blame the economy about it. Go, how can I get free from this? Holy Spirit, lead me. I'll give when you say to give. I will, I will not buy when you say not to buy. I, will, I want you to be Lord of this and help me because I know I, I get out of control in this area. Like, it's, it's okay to confess it. Just don't stay there. Like, Lord, help me change. What are you doing? You're building a dwelling place for the Lord. And you're, you're, you're looking very serious at Leah, everything, because I, I want iniquity to be eradicated from my life. That, that's my personal goal and desire. I want this gone so it doesn't show up over here in this weird place and over here in this weird place. And I, Benny, Benny Hinn came out. I'm going I'm to pull up. There's more. I'll continue on. Came out with a new book. And it's a story of it. We are Phyllis and I were listening to his testimony a little bit. I ordered the book because there he was in the ministry, and and he it took him three years. He had to start building a secret place for the Lord. During that time, his marriage was falling apart. I believe he was separated from his wife. This things were not going good in his personal life at all. And he hit a wall. The ministry kept on coming. The anointing was there to keep bring you know the healings and the things that he does. The anointing didn't, didn't lift. And, and in this book, he describes this. I experienced when the anointing came on me. I, I started to acknowledge anger, and I'm like, this isn't good. And we don't need any more anointing on that. that and I started fasting because I'm like, I love to pursue this and stay in this, but something's off. And I understood at that point, this anointing anoints whatever's in here. Like, oh, Jesus wouldn't do that. <laughs> Why do you think so many people in the ministry fell badly and were very successful? And Benny Hinn is writing a book confessing this, like, wow. And he's, he's coming out on the whole other side where he developed this secret place of the Lord, where he's very serious about walking with Jesus and keeping that healthy and, and right. So, it's serious. I was standing there last night. This death, another situation, hor most horrible things to walk into. The ambulance lights, the police light, you know, the lights are all on. You're, it's at night. You're kind of half blinded by all the things going on. The trauma of, of his friends coming from the neighborhood, finding out, and you're watching them react like so it's so heartbreaking to this loss to this death they were just with him they're like and yeah just stuff and I'm standing there I have my own torment going on like how did we miss this and I didn't even know that he had it was a really nice kid I haven't seen him for a long time great personality just this real sweet young man in his late 20s, I think. I'm not sure of his age. 30s. He was in his 30s now. Our kids growing up. And I, I'm really struggling. <laughs> like, 
this is going on so close to me, I had no clue. Like, what are we missing? And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we think if they come to church, they come around, but then here's the hard question. I just have to, I'm trying to shed off this heaviness today, but like it just, it got on me and it was all night and it's there and I'm trying to function with this, but do we have, I know what I'm talking about. This is so important in this subject because they need that iniquity broke off of them. And do we have that? Do we have the anointing for that? Do we, we've got to, we've got to own it first. We can't keep talking about what they need. We've got to own this so that we're really, we're dealing in deliverance. We're dealing in the, the breakthrough. We, we can reach in and, and with whatever our part is, but I just can't accept because I know they don't want to live like this. They don't want to get captured. They don't want to go down the wrong road. What, what's it going to take to break the, the heaviness of the spirit? Like Selineville still has this thing over it. We've prayed and prayed over this city. But again, how does the, the wicked prosper in these places and the corruption? It's horrible. And now I've had to live through this recently three times now with these kind of deaths, like just boom, 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 right in a row within a, a year or two here. And, and they're all so, they just leave people so, des so devastated. It's like people getting robbed from who they were and what they were supposed to so early. And, and there's, there's, no, it's, there's no comfort for it. Like, and, and all I could do, standing there in the midst of this and watching, like, This is happening on my watch. And I, I'm not even, I'm not even connected to it. I'm too, there's too distant, like, and they're, they're hungry, they're star, they're hungry. And you get close and you look and you go, oh my, they need help. They don't know how to help themselves. They're a mess. They're really a mess. And we can't just play games. Like they don't just need, you know, they need real help, real deliverance. And I, I'm believing the Lord's promises this. But it was such a, like another wake-up call. I'm like not even sure how to respond to it other than I've said it before. I don't want to get good at doing funerals. I want to get good at doing resurrections. I want to get good at the power. I want to get good at the deliverance. I want to get good at, at being able to reach in and be in the right place at the right time. I believe the Spirit would lead us so I'm like, oh, I'm just kind of speechless. Like, like we got to go after this. we got to find out how to break the strongholds and get free from this stuff in our own lives and stop just playing, you know, just like, oh, you know, just, just believe. Like, yeah, we do need to just believe, but we, we need to get all the way through to the reality of being free and being what, what the Lord has for us. So let's pray. Father, I just ask that you'll, um, in one sense, comfort us, and in another sense, the, the discontent and the frustration, I know it's going to lead us to breakthrough. So I thank you for that. I thank you for seeing what we saw and even letting me experience the heaviness, the hopelessness. 
the prophets would speak of the people in darkness. And they're in such darkness. And it's passing from generation to generation, and it gets a little worse in every generation. Without you, and without you coming and breaking this, Lord Jesus, we're asking you today for the keys to deliverance and the keys to reaching in, the keys for us, first of all, to be completely free so that we're not part of the problem. And the keys then, when they do come, that we have bread in the house, that we have deliverance in the house, that we have deliverance on our fingers, that we can take it to them, that we can get to these places of darkness. So, Lord, deliver us from iniquity, from the source of the sin and the source of the, that which hinders us, that we can be free and free indeed. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. She said, um, this is Jeannie. Hang on a second. I'm asking for prayers for myself and my family. I'm needing strength and understanding and peace. The pain of losing my grandson is unbearable. Please lift us up in Jesus' name. So, yeah, let's do that. Father, for, for Jeannie right now in Jesus' name and for Jim. They're all just suffering so bad, badly. For China, for Rachel, Brian. Lord Jesus, undertake. There's human comfort just doesn't get it. They need spiritual comfort. They need you to, to come and reach down and touch them, help them through this season, through this process, Lord Jesus. So, spirit of comfort, we know it's your name. Come and descend and come and fall on Jeannie. Jeannie and Jim today while they're driving and on China, on Rachel, on the children, on Caden, on, on everyone that was affected. The friends, Father, that were so traumatized last night that are just hanging on to life themselves. Lord Jesus, for a young man named Nick that I saw last night, for other young men and women so traumatized by this. We'll call out their names and ask you to bring comfort to them. In Jesus' name.